0: Welcome, welcome to the Carl Vibe Show. We are live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. I've got a very special guest tonight. Really excited about this one. He's got such a tremendous amount of experience and everything. I'm just going to pull up his website really quick on screen and actually read some of this off to you guys so that you guys understand who we're talking to tonight. We've got Chris Bartell. He's a U.S. Air Force veteran, a photographer, graphic designer, and pathfinder's. Uh, United States Air Force veterans, Security Forces and Cadre Department of Energy Protective Forces in an SS, nat- uh, National Nevada Security Site, and he worked with the Bigelow Aerospace Advanced Space Studies security, uh, inv- as a security and investigations officer and with the Department of Veteran Affairs. Uh, Chris Bartel has over 20 years of security and law enforcement experience, and his primary profession has been protection of personnel and property, which has led him down many interesting paths. And we're going to talk about a whole lot of those tonight. One of the things that the paths that have led him down is to become a prolific photographer, one of the most uh, well-known and best photographers in the whole Uintah Basin. And he's got a great uh, history with that, taking pictures of Skinwalker Ranch, Blind Frog Ranch, and then the entire region. And he has tremendous amount of experience uh, and opinions on this that go clear back throughout his entire life. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring in Chris Bartell. How are you doing, Chris?
1: Hey, pretty good. Thanks for having me. appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I've been really stoked for our conversation, Chris. And I, I really was like, man, where do I even start? Because we could jump right into Blind Frog Ranch and talk like all night about that. We could talk about oh, yeah. the whole Uintah basin and everything. But when I started looking at your actual background and history, I started wondering, you know, how you got started in all this. And it probably goes clear back to the beginning when you were working in Nevada and your and your Air Force history. So let's go ahead and start there, Chris. Like Uh, when you first started in your experience in your military history, where did you begin in all that?
1: Well, I I joined the Air Force in uh, uh, 1997. And then uh, my first duty station was Nellis Air Force Base in Las Vegas. I arrived there uh, March of 98 and uh, was security forces, police officer on the main base side of the house and worked there for several years and then uh, became a cadre instructor for the, gcts ground combat training squadron up in uh, creech air force base which is, isn't too far away from nellis and worked there for a few years and then finished out my time at nellis around uh, 2006 of active and i went into ima reserves from 2006 to 2009 but in 2006 um, i got hired at the nevada test site for uh, department of energy um, as a security police officer and worked there for about three three plus years and um my wife who i met in the air force uh she got orders to maelstrom air force base in montana where she's from originally and in 2009 or about early to late 2009 into 2010 we transferred up to uh maelstrom air force base and then uh came back to las vegas and then that i got hired with uh i actually got hired with um um, a company that had the contract for the Janet detail for A51 first as a part-time gig and then got hired with Bigelow Aerospace for Bass and uh, was working both those jobs for a while at the same time. And, uh, but yeah, I started off in Nevada. So, you know, I, I, you know, ironically enough, my experience with Skinwalkers didn't really come from uh, Skinwalker Ranch. I had knew, knew about it and heard about the legends of it, working in Nevada first, working in the deserts of Creech really? Air Force space. And especially at the Nevada test site, there's a lot of allure out there. And people have talked about seeing skinwalker stuff type phenomena. And ironically enough, there's, you know, um, a great native history out there as well. So um, I kind of had an idea about skinwalker stuff before even going to skinwalker ranch from my time in Nevada.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I grew up in Southeast Idaho and it was a regular part of the stories when I would go camping and things like that. Mm-hmm. You would, you know, it was part of the local legend. It was like, you go if you go up to these certain areas, there was stories of skinwalker encounters. And so that was the same in the, in the lore when you first started working in security and things down in even in Nevada. So maybe tell us a little bit about some of that when you first started working at Nellis. I mean, that's like a huge hotspot. You're right by Area 51. You say you worked mm-hmm. at, with Area 51 out there in the Department yeah. of Energy. And and so when you were working with the Air Force, was there anything that started to come up there? You, you mentioned that there was some talk about skinwalkers already from the get-go.
1: Yeah. Um, working at Nellis Air Force Base, that's a really high mobility uh, base. So, you know, it's the home of the fighter pilot. So, you um, are exposed to a lot of stuff, and a lot of people come from all over the country to train there. Um, it's also in Las Vegas. So as a cop, you're, you know, you're kind of like baptized by fire pretty quickly um, working there. But I didn't really hear about too many stories. Uh, and Actually, I you know at Nellis there was quite a bit of uh, paranormal stories um, with the WSA up there. It's called Area 2. Um, uh, Nellis at one time was the world's largest above ground nuclear storage facility for the country Really, and um, there was a lot of stories up there from the guys seeing the lady in white who was to walk this you know people would get a call that there's some lady on the white in the white dress walking the fence line they would get out there and nobody nobody would be out there um, there was also a, a story about the laughing colonel like if you fell asleep on post You would be awoken up by this laughing colonel Hmm. Uh, stories of shadow figures up there, all up in the area too. And then there was a place uh, at Nellis air force base called uh, hangar 858. I think it was 858, Uh, the propulsion building on at Nellis. And I found out it by accident, but just through talking to people because I was into the paranormal stuff and, you know, and Las Vegas has got a lot of stuff, but, I was surprised to find something about Nellis Air Force Base, main base side. And there was a building out there where people had reported seeing orbs and manifestations. And mm-hmm. so, of course, myself and some other officers went over there and started investigating. And uh, we had a can unit come out one time and the dog freaked out and didn't like being in there at all. And then as time went on, more and more of us would go there to try to you know scare each other or whatever. It had a weird vibe to it. But this one particular time, there must have been about eight of us. Almost like every patrol on the base <laughs> was RV'd at this location. And uh, I'll never forget it. There's this hallway. And um, there was a couple airmen walking up and down the hallway. And the lights were on. So it didn't feel very scary, but it just felt odd. And everybody saw, including myself, this billowing smoke come out of a wall. And, and all of us were like, in, in our minds, like, why isn't the fire alarm going off? And then as soon as somebody said, what is that? The, the smoke went right back into the wall and disappeared. And everybody saw it and freaked out. It was a pretty pretty weird thing. But once again, it happened mm. when you least expect it. You know, everybody's kind of like just hanging out and this weird thing happens. And there was several witnesses to that. But then when I got to Creech Air Force Base is when I started hearing more about, um, you know, weird things in the night up there in the desert you know so
0: yeah so what well, now i've heard so many stories about indian springs as well is that yeah. is that are you referring to that area up there as well is right. that when you mention area two because they well, talk about uh range four harry and stuff like this white horse or the woman in white that moves through the desert yeah. and there's been several there, people come out of there that say they've seen this
1: yeah, Area Two is actually located at Nellis Air Force Base, just um, just north of the base, main base. It's up, like, kind up a little bit, farther. like it, towards
0: I fifteen, almost like yes to the oh, yeah. Wow.
1: It's off I fifteen, but all the that that whole Area Two's been shut down now. It's been shut down for several years. Everything's been cleared out, and it's just a it's just a, a ghost town up there now. But Creech really? Air Force Base is located in Indian Springs. It used to be called Indian Springs Air Force Base. And then it became Creech Air Force Base. Oh, and, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. So when I was an instructor out there, we used to go to this place called uh, Range 63 Alpha, and uh, there was some weird stuff that would happen out there. The other other cadre guys would report as well, you know, seeing something weird or or hearing something, you know, shadow figure, or whatever. And then uh, at, Nellis, at, at Creech Air Force Base, it's a very old base too. Uh, we used to have some old timer DOD cops. And they swore up and down that that whole base was haunted. And I'm like, well, <laughs> let's go find out. <laughs> yeah. Man. And then when I got to the Nevada test site, that was a whole nother thing. You know, people, I worked night shifts, so we would listen to Coast to Coast, of course. And, and, and you know, uh, sometimes they would talk about the test site and we'd be like, what? They're talking about us? And uh, we started talking to some of the local people around there. And sure enough, there's a lot of history up at the test site as well.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating yeah I've heard so much about that like uh, weather balloon operators that go out there and then they discovered that they weren't actually they were faking the log books and stuff and not actually even going to do the drive to launch the oh, weather yeah. balloons they were making up the weather reports for several months uh, just because they were too terrified to go out oh, yeah. on those dirt roads in the dark they were seeing tall uh, figures like that looked like they were glowing in the mm-hmm. dark and there was rumors of like uh, you know, from the nuclear testing or something, there being irradiated animals running around and things out there that, who knows, could have been uh, shadow figures it. or like skinwalker type things. Yeah. Uh, it's very strange.
1: Test site's got a lot of interesting stuff, you know, uh, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I signed a lot of NDAs going into that job and a lot of NDAs leaving that job. So there's not much I can really discuss about project wise, but there is a lot of weird stuff that happens out there. And it's pretty common knowledge for all the folks that live in Las Vegas that are into that community of uh, paranormal and stuff. They know that there's some as as you go further up, 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 up north, you know, you got Goldfield, Nevada. The Goldfield Hotel, which I, ironically enough, in 2009, me and two other officers from the test site went up there and actually made contact with Virginia Ridgeway, the caretaker, and she allowed mm-hmm. us. She gave us a full full tour access of the property inside, and I photographed the whole thing. It was unbelievable, oh, wow. and that was a pretty awesome experience. So to have her with us and um, to photograph that that beautiful hotel but there is also known to have so much paranormal activity at that location you know and i put it on my website um the goldfield pictures on there so they're on there as well so let's check
0: that out i can actually pull that up so we can look at it and want to showcase yeah. your website just a little bit so people know you know you do photography there's this whole skinwalker ranch gallery that people can check out of all of your amazing things this is like a fallen cow there's homestead 3 yeah. Uh where would I go to find the uh um um it's going to be
1: what, probably you, uh gallery right there, yeah.
0: Gallery right here.
1: Yep, and then go down
0: gold Right there, Hotel Goldfield. right here. Yep. Wow, these pictures are so good, man. Thank you. Let's see. So we'll go ahead and look at them. If you're uh, listening to this in podcast version after the fact, you're going to have to come to YouTube and watch the video in order to check it out. But
1: Yeah, there's Virginia Ridgeway. That was here, Virginia Taker. right there.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at this. So did you get to spend time in there just kind of take a tour?
1: Yeah, we spent all day there, and she was telling us all about the paranormal aspects of the property and some of the things that she had experienced. And uh, we did some energy um, – Experiments inside this one room. And then I think we went to the room uh, 109 where, where uh, Elizabeth was murdered. That's the whole lore of the property. Yeah. And she wouldn't allow us to take uh, our cameras in there. Nothing. That's that's us doing the experiment <laughs> with the energy. Yeah. Energy was between cool.
0: your hands. Yeah.
1: Yeah. She that's was a really, really fascinating. In, she was so cool. I mean, oh God, it was such a, it was just a very unique situation.
0: That's really cool. and We'll probably come back to this uh, to show off some of your photos and stuff as we get talking about Skinwalker Ranch or Blind Frog Ranch and showcase some of your work as well. So that's one of the things that people don't really understand is that they want to focus on these particular hot spots where the research is actively being done, where the TV shows are being filmed. But, you know, this stuff goes clear back down to your experience at Nellis Air Force Base all throughout Nevada, up at these different test sites and everything, so I want to get your opinion on that. Do you feel like these types of paranormal hotspots, UFO hotspots, did they exist naturally throughout the history of the location and then we just happened to move in and build these bases and locations over top of it, kind of not realizing what we were doing? Or do you think that some of these places were actually picked because of their them being an energetic hotspot or being a perfect area in order to do some of this alternative testing like with area 51 and such
1: i mean that that could very well be i mean it is interesting that a lot of these bases are close to you know uh indian land or land with a lot of history you know in in las vegas alone you have you know right outside of uh las vegas you have the valley of fire which is from like the ancestral um Pablonians that are from or that were the Anazazi you know so you know we're talking about a culture that's 10,000 years old and and on, on the Nevada test site they have pet petroglyphs out there as well that go back really? 10,000 years oh yeah they go back 10,000 years and it's well documented I think it's the Shoshone and the Southern Paiute that inhabited yeah. that area and there's petroglyphs on on the Nevada test site and they're actually I think you could probably go online and find them the images of the petroglyphs, but. So we're looking at locations that, you know, 10,000 years old. What was going on 10,000 years ago? You know, we can't wrap our heads around it. We can't wrap our heads around, you know, 10 years ago. We we lose insight of our own society, cultural-wise. 10,000 years ago, who knows what was going on? But something was going on.
0: Yeah, there's something to these locations that, you know, even that I'm drawn to in the work that I'm trying to do where I research these ancient petroglyph locations and I try to see how they're, connected not just even locally but globally to the other ones because we now have this internet database and people all over the internet that are posting stuff and i you 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 can see the similarities and how they're all connected and it does make you wonder if there's like a vast uh, like a global empire or some sort of phenomenon occurring where these ancient civilizations were tapped into the energy energetic electromagnetic field of the earth in a different way or maybe the earth was in a different position in space back then and they were tapped into that with their consciousness or something but we Absolutely. seem to be drawn like now even today like if 10,000 years ago their powerful empires were settling in these locations now today our military has forts and air force bases and everything built in these same spots and you almost wonder if
1: it's a subconscious thing or there
0: aware of it and doing it on purpose, you know?
1: Yeah. That's actually a pretty good point. I never thought about that, but yeah, that's definitely something that would kind of make sense, you know?
0: Yeah. And so, you know, area 51, you actually had some experience there and I know you can't discuss that too much, but what a lot of people also don't realize is how much of that area is actually dominated by the department of energy. Maybe you can talk about that. Like what uh, can you say anything to your experience or work or anything that you may have seen at Area Fifty One with your time there?
1: Uh, well, I worked primarily the Janet detail, so I was based out of the out of Vegas. But when I worked the Nevada test site, Area Fifty One is a sister site to, to to the Nevada test site, and you know Nevada Area Fifty One is strategically placed in a location where it has a dynamic mountains to protect it, but also has overlapping security with. The test site right there. You have Creech Air Force Base. You have Tonopah Test Range. You have a variety of Nellis right down the block, and these are all overlapping layers of security for one location, which is Area 51. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's just another. For me, it's just another Air Force Base. It, I wish I could say yeah. something pretty exotic about it, but uh, for me, it's just another Air Force base where we test new technology and be thankful that we do because that's what keeps us the edge. You know, there's all this talk. You know, I follow the UAP topic a little bit, but I don't really put too much energy into it because of my background of where I used to work. Um, I see a lot of people online get caught up in people's words or somebody said this or somebody has an opinion about that or right. the government, should, the Air Force should release all the the um you know knowledge it has about ufo's or whatever but they don't understand that the the game that's being played here is uh, air power global dominance that's what's key and that's what keeps america on the edge against everybody else keeping everybody in the dark including our own people that you know you think that you're worth the pentagon that you get some type of savvy access to special access programs that's not how it works it's a very small group of people that um that are in the know really in the know and we should be thankful that we have technology that is uh, on the edge and, and so people get so upset You know i want disclosure too i want them to come out and say yeah there's aliens here i mean great but what's going to happen when that happens are you going to stop paying your taxes now you're going to keep going to work you're going to adjust as a human being and and it's going to be one more layer to our culture okay aliens are here but i can't say that there's aliens because i never seen i've never seen them but you know, as as far as people getting, you now I see some of these conversations. People go off on each other, and I'm like, "You think aliens are going to come when people are, <laughs> are fighting <laughs> amongst each other about dumb stuff?" I mean, it's just silly to me. But if yeah. I was an alien race, if I was an alien species, what timeline would I pick? Uh, probably the Native American timeline—a people, a cultural people who had a deep understanding of the Earth and the universe and each other, and mm. um, they didn't take advantage of stuff. They knew the connectiveness. That's who I would make contact with. They're not going to come now. Look at it, look at our culture now; it's pretty out of control. I mean, yeah. it's terrifying. So, um, if I was an alien coming to Earth, I'm going to come probably the Native American timeline and make contact with a- ancestral people like that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point.
1: Uh, you don't really think about too much.
0: And honestly, like when it comes to disclosure, a lot of times we put this pressure, like on the government or the military or one of the branches of the research arms of the military or something, right. where. We're like, when are you going to disclose? And honestly, like, the if these extraterrestrials or other dimensional beings or whatever they are as part of the phenomenon, they're not waiting for permission from us to when they're going right. to show up and disclose themselves. They're they're exactly. staying hidden or in our blind spot of their own accord, of their own decision, you know. And And we just seem to get these glimpses in these certain particular locations. Like, you see this... Uh, shadowy smoke come out of the wall and manifest and then go back in and have had other experiences like that um, over the course of your career. And this is right alongside like your actual work in the Air Force. But you're
1: mm-hmm.
0: what's amazing to me is that when people see your, your experience and your work history, they assume that it would involve just straight up UFOs working with Bigelow Aer- Aerospace and all of that. But right. really, most of your experience has been on the ground and sort of paranormal in a way. So why why do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I think that, you know, I spent my entire, I've spent my entire career from the inside looking out and and Mm. I've been fortunate for my career to work in certain locations, which has allowed me some insight into some things. Um, you know, my time at Skinwalker Ranch, I, I didn't really worry about what was in the sky because I can't control what's up there. You know, I can monitor as best I can. And if I see something cool or unusual, I'll report it. But most of my time was exploring the paranormal aspect, you know, mm. and um, and that's that's what primarily what I did, you know, secure the site as well, secure the, the ranch but also report anything out of the ordinary. It was literally the best job I've ever had in my life. I mean, literally it was the mm-hmm. best job ever. I mean, getting, I'm getting paid to hike and, and explore and, and experience cool stuff and be with the dogs all the time. Uh, of yeah. course, there was bad things that happened and negative things that happened out there as well, but I didn't let that affect me. I, I took the negative and turned it into a positive, and that's where my photography came in. I use right. my photography out there as kind of like a – Uh, like a shield, basically to buffer what I was being exposed to. And uh, um, that's kind of what my photography fell into this whole thing, you know?
0: Yeah, that's really cool. How did you get started, uh, you know, to do the jump from your position working with the military to working with Big Low and his organization up at Skinwalker? How did that happen? And you get tied into that group?
1: just by luck really it's you know when you work in these special access programs it's about who you know it's really that it's really about your person's reputation and if you can you know what kind of person they are what kind of work ethic they bring to the table and um, I was stationed at Nellis where it's a very unique location where everybody's you know if you're a stellar airman and you're doing really good at your job and you perform well you get not invited, but they're like, hey, you should apply for this job or maybe you should apply for that. So when I was looking for work when we, came, I, you know, my wife was stationed at Nellis and we took orders to Maelstrom Air Force Base. When we came back to Las Vegas, I was unemployed and I had a brand new baby on the way and a house in Vegas and I needed to find work. So I started making phone calls to all my connections. And the first place I called was, well, I called, I had a supervisor in the Air Force. And he was like, he knew everything. Like he knew, knew where to go if I want this job or that job. He was kind of like the access. And mm-hmm. um, uh, he called some people and said, hey, Bartel's coming back in town. Um, you know, he still has an active Q clearance, which is a big deal. Um, so I got hired with the uh, 51 first as part-time. And then another buddy was like, hey, there's a guy who's got this um, ranch in Utah he's securing, but you have to have a clearance as well. And I'm like, what? So I looked into that and I was like, wow, this is interesting. So I applied and got hired on through them by a person that used to work there. And uh, just that's kind of how I ended up at Skinwalker Ranch, just by just by luck, I guess, but also because I had a pretty good work ethic, you know?
0: Yeah. Was there anything in that? Was there anything in the job application or the job description that would indicate what that was going to be like or what was going on there? Or did it just look like a standard security detail?
1: Right. It was, you know, I had an interview with uh, Colin Kelleher at Park House and, um, it was your basic standard issue uh, security questions, and then you know he asked me about some paranormal stuff. If I believe in that stuff, type of uh, um, um, st- stuff, I'm like, yeah, I do. I do believe in so it. So that and did come him,
0: up in the in the interview. Yeah. He brought up paranormal in your experience. Yeah, and at
1: first, at first, I was kind of like, what do I say? Because I, at the time, I had an active Q clearance, and it's like if you start saying stuff about that, they're going to pull your clearance. You know, so I was very not too sure what to say. But I'm like, uh, well, I'm just going to be honest about it. Yeah, I've had experiences. I've had experiences here in Nevada, you know, and um, I was pretty open to everything, you know, and I, I was pretty excited about it. And I also I feel very fortunate to be to be able to spend so much time out there during during what I consider like the the raw days of the ranch when it was just, you know, myself and the dogs or myself and another guard. And that was it. You know, there was no TV show. I never thought a TV show would ever happen in a thousand years. You know, it was the, it was a work site for me, you know. And yeah. I do it as such, and uh, just like all my other jobs prior to that, I I put a lot of effort into it, and I wanted to perform well.
0: Yeah. What was it? So when you first got there and started working your detail at, at uh, Skinwalker Ranch, were they calling it that, or did they have a secret name for it that was different? And Skinwalker Ranch caught on later because you were there basically right at the beginning. It seems like, or
1: yeah i got there in 2010 so yeah i mean they call it skinwalker ranch we just refer to it as the ranch you know um yeah it was you know it was kind of like when i first got out there i was like what is this place because i came from Kans i grew up in kansas on a farm on an actual working right. ranch you know so i was like well this doesn't seem like a ranch to me like what i'm used to and so i was like i felt right at home you know i felt like i'm back in the country again um it felt great I felt alive being out there you know um it was awesome but I was like this is a paranormal place I don't feel nothing paranormal about it but now it's still also brand new you know and the ranch has this unique way of kind of um um I guess seeing if you're genuine or not like it has I feel like the ranch has like a consciousness and it's always watching to see who you are and if you're not genuine the ranch will expose you and, yeah. uh, but anyways, but that's a whole new, another topic, but yeah, at first, my first impressions was like, this is, just seems like another ranch to me, you know? And yeah. uh, after several years being out there, it was different, different opinion.
0: What was like a, a typical day on the job there? Was it dealing mostly with like locals or, uh, people trespassing or was it uh, active with sorts of, sort of strange paranormal activity or a whole mix?
1: Well, it was kind of a mixture of everything because, you know, you got to understand this is in 2010. There wasn't really a lot of hype behind Skinwalker Ranch, you know. And so a daily routine would be when when, when there was two people. Because at first, when I first was hired there, there was two of us. And then late in 2011, we went down to one person. So imagine on a security aspect, you're in charge of like 700 acres of land to secure by yourself for two weeks. It's impossible. And yeah. while you're there securing the property, you also have to, you know, look for something out of the ordinary or gather data. Um, it was unbelievable, but that's a whole different thing. But um, an average day for me, when it was one person, I would get up around 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, feed the dogs, do the report from the night before. And then I would pack a, high, I'd pack a ruck, basically, a backpack full of water and, and food. And I would hike out with the dogs and we would spend all day walking around the whole perimeter of Skinwalker Ranch and then I would come back occasionally to have lunch and then to have dinner and I would Skype with my wife and kid. And then I would, you know, change my outfit and go back at night for nighttime operations with NVGs. I'd be out to about three or four o'clock in the morning. So it was very long days.
0: I was going to pull up some of your pictures. When did you start uh, taking an interest in the photography? You say when <clears throat> was that like when the weird stuff started happening or did just right off the bat you saw this Almost. beautiful place?
1: Almost right off the bat it was you know when I first my first day on the ranch, I was with a guy who hired me and he was like excited that I was there and we went down to he's like, you know you're brand new here I gotta take you down to Homestead too because that's where the weird stuff happens and take pictures. I'm like, great, you know let's go So we go out there and we shoot off some pictures inside Homestead too and he shows me on the camera that he's using he's using like the, the basic camera that they had there. And he's using flash photography and it, basically what I saw was a bunch of dust particles or backs. It's called backscatter. Hmm. And I'm like, that's not, or that's not orbs. That's, that's legit backscatter. And he got like right. pretty pissed that I brought that up. Like, he's like, no, this is not, this is orbs. I'm like, dude, we have three dogs right here. If, if there's a thousand orbs in this picture, the dogs would sense that, you know, we right. have a, a biosensor sensor right next to us and you're, we're taking pictures of a bunch of dust particles and, uh, the dogs are just sleeping on the floor. There's nothing going on here. So then I started using my camera, which was at the time I had a Sony alpha 300 and it was a little more high resolution. It was kind of, it would kind of eliminate some of the dust particles out of the pictures. And I was able to show him like, look, look at, look at the images I'm getting on my, on my camera versus your camera, you know? Right. And then uh, at that point, I kind of kept my camera with me just in case there was something really good to document. I wanted to have a better camera to document it. And then over the course of the years, you know i fell in love with the property and i saw so many beautiful sunsets and just incredible pictures that i wanted to capture of more of an artistic viewpoint because ansel adams was my biggest inspiration so i kind of wanted to bring mm. his vision to skinwalker ranch but also to las vegas too i know my thing was kind of like bring ansel adams to las vegas so a lot of my vegas pictures were shot in black and white as well and, and wide angle lens and stuff like that so but yeah, well, it, first really, there was-
0: it really captures the feeling of the place. The way you've got yeah. the lighting and the color is really well done.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to capture the spirit of the property, how I viewed the ranch. You know, at times it was scary, no doubt about it. I'm not going to sit here and pretend like it wasn't. But also other times it was just another home, you know. And I was right. able to find some old NIDS pictures on there as well. So it kind of shows you the NIDS versus what we were doing, you know. NIDS right. had a whole different... uh um, job and and vast. we had a whole different objective as well so um did some pretty cool stuff out there as well and we kind of followed suit from what they did you know some of the things that they uh did we kind of followed suit and try to expand on
0: do you uh somebody's asking here uh spring hill matt great photos that would make a great coffee table book are you publishing a book soon or have you
1: released i, I would for love purchase to. I would love to because I want to share people uh, share my vision with not just Skinwalker but the whole, you went to basin, you know uh-huh. um, I, I think I will, maybe in the future, I would like to post those, uh, make a, make a real, like they said, coffee table book. Uh, right. And also put in that book, some of my experiences of what we're talking about right now, you know, but more of my in-depth experiences actually on my website, I put um, on my website, there's a, a, a thing called uh, insights, and I posted three insights. And what I did was I took three images of my photography and I wrote exactly what I was feeling, what I was experiencing. And uh, I wrote a little paragraph and it's actually kind of cool. I think that's how I'm going to do a book. Yeah. Right there.
0: Yeah. So if people can check that out on your website, Chris
1: can yeah, so you, you Scroll down sure. it talks about um, a couple of my experiences at Homestead Two with some experiments right. that we did um and then are you
0: are you allowed to talk about any of that some of the things that you experienced and saw or experiments that you did at skinwalker ranch
1: um some of the experience i probably can't talk about um but for the most part i mean everything's been declassified for the most part that that you know with the newest book uh, uh skinwalkers of the pentagon so it's pretty much there is no big secret you know other than the fact that there might've been something else going on out there that we weren't aware of, but, uh, right. but yeah, on my website, there is the insights. that kind of talks my perspective, my, my perspective of how it was being out there, you know, alone sp- specifically. Yeah. Cause you did spend
0: a lot of time with just two of you, but that would mean a lot of times you're taking shifts, you're taking turns. So you're actually out right. there doing the patrol. And this, uh, was a lot more acreage than what Skinwalker Ranch is considered now. So you were covering a way larger way turf area way bigger yeah yeah we, so
1: what, what, we used to lease okay. we used to lease the local land around there and uh and for two reasons one to provide more security but also to monitor some of the cows that the the neighboring ranchers had so we keep an eye on them, making sure there's nothing happened to them or cows get lost or whatever you know it's, it's a working ranch out there so we kind of okay. were able to help the uh the local ranchers with their with their livestock as well and me coming from kansas i've pretty comfortable around cows and and horses and stuff. So it was, it was like, it was like being back at home really. Right.
0: What were some of the, like your, what was your first kind of spooky experience that's difficult for you to explain that you had up there in the basin? Oh
1: man. You know, you would think after being out there for almost, you know, almost six years, I would have like thousands of stories and I do have some very significant stories that have happened but I will I will say I'll I'll tell you something, but also but I will say by year like three, four, five, six, you're out there by yourself, you become numb to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, I you become numb to, to the environment because it's almost like in the military when you deploy overseas to a combat zone. Like the first couple months, you're on edge. You know, you're really wigging out, you're freaking out about little things. By month nine, by year month twelve, you're ready to go home. And you're like, oh whatever, I don't care. And it got to that point at Skinwalker where, you know, half the stuff that happened out there, we didn't report half the stuff that happened. And that yeah. and that's for a couple of reasons, not just because of we were numb to it, but it felt like there was a lack of communication towards the end and nobody cared. And I felt like people's experiences were um, to themselves, you know, at that point. At that point, you became like you're on your own out there. So, you know, nobody seemed to really pay attention to what was going on you're kind of out there by yourself but the first experience i would say that caught my attention was i had a wolf experience myself and another officer had a pretty in with a pretty big black wolf and uh mm. i was able to photograph some of the prints and that was a very interesting situation because that's a whole nother. that's a, that, that's a, that could be like a two-hour talk about that how that went down but basically um long story short we made contact with some type of large black wolf that the dogs at first didn't even pick up on. We were out there by ourselves walking around and my fellow officer, he actually found the prints first. And we got this mindset, like we're going to capture the dog or capture the wolf, you know, which is insane thinking about it, but we're both prior military. So we're like, whatever. And um, that night we went out to try to capture this wolf or or at least document the best we can. That was the, really the objective. We was trying to document something because it was very interesting And the whole night we walked around and we felt like something was there, but we couldn't pick up on it. And then around three o'clock in the morning, we noticed it was starting to rain a little bit and there's a full moon night. So we started walking back to the trailer to Homestead one. And, um, I was ahead of my partner about maybe 20, 40 feet. And he said, stop, I heard something. And I go, what? And I turned around and out of this ditch, we hear this deep guttural howl growl. That was unbelievable, and this Mm -hmm. wolf, whatever, jumped out of the ditch, and it looked like the size of a deer or something. It was big, and it jumped on the ground and ran west, and we ran after it because the dogs ran after it, and we were worried about the dogs fighting this thing, and this animal, whatever, basically disappeared in front of us, and we're like, and and it stopped. Yeah, it stopped. And it, like, disappeared, and the dogs stopped dead in their tracks and looked at us like, what the hell was that? And I looked at them like, what the hell was that? And then we were like, holy crap. And we got back to the trailer, and we're like, it was a pretty – it was a long night, you know. And then, Uh. ironically enough, I had – you know, that happened in 2010. October 2010 is when that happened. Fast forward 2015, I'm out there by myself now. I'm working, uh, obviously, a night shift. I'm at the East gate where primarily most people kind of trespass at. I'm sitting in a lawn chair with a couple dogs and I hear it's like three o'clock in the morning. And I hear that guttural howl growl again, come from behind me. So I come off the chair and I gun out white flashlight and it was gone. It was like letting me know like, Hey, I'm still here watching because you always felt like you're being watched out there day or night. It doesn't matter. It always felt like you're being watched. And I just, I was like, wow, you know, it just kind of caught my attention. Like something's going on out here. Um, But I had, you know, other experiences out there as well. Um, You know, your typical, you know, seeing things at the corner of your eye. And most of the stuff happened outside Homestead One when you least expected it. You know, I felt like the ranch opened up more when you're just doing your normal stuff, your daily routine. And then all of a sudden something would happen and you couldn't really document it because it happened so quick. You know, right. They're like two steps ahead of you at all times.
0: It just kind of catch you off guard when you're guards down a little bit just right when you're doing your normal routine and things rather than when you're being vigilant looking That's right. such a trick trickster element to it it's so interesting
1: right how,
0: how close would you say this this wolf that you guys experienced and that the dogs were chasing did you get close enough to where you could smell it or i mean what did it look physical or was it similar to like a shadow type figure that resembled the dog
1: no, it looked like a legit wolf, like big yeah. black wolf. Um, it did. I, I don't remember the smell. And I remember on the actual initial report, I put not even see it. <laughs> the reason why I put that on there is because I still had an active queue clearance at the time. And I was the only person on the team that had an active queue clearance. And I was like, well, if I put my name on this report and it gets to somebody and it says that I saw a wolf or a werewolf or something, I'm my clearance is gone with the DOE because I had originally maybe planned to go back to the DOE, you know, and so the original report, I think I put, I didn't see it, but I saw it. I definitely saw it and um, now I talk about it frequently because, you know, in today's culture and society, everything's more open about, you know, we're we're able to have these uh, discussions about fringe topics like skinwalkers or UFOs more openly than before. You know, it's pretty amazing and I'll take, you know, the, the TV shows and the documentaries and everything, the books and everything that people have been producing over the last couple of years has, has helped provide that platform where we can talk about this stuff and not feel like, like an outsider, you know? Right. Cause there's a lot, I think you can go to any, you can go to any air force base or military base in the world right now and ask the guards, what are the paranormal things? And they'll tell you almost every base has got something, you know, but back yeah, in the I day th- they were not say anything. <laughs>
0: I think that's part of what's shifting and changing is, you know, there's a lot of these shows coming out and people like you stepping forward and you get to the point in your career where you're like, it is safe to talk about this. And that's starting to snowball and more and more people watch interviews like ours, like we're having right now. And it makes them feel relatable instead of crazy uh, having these kinds of experiences, you know, because even like when I went up there, even just last year was my first real experience going to like skinwalker ranch and i got to go up to blind frog ranch we can totally want to talk about blind frog ranch here in a minute as well sure um but i had a really strange experience at skinwalker ranch as well i went on the tour where you went up to the east gate it was with everybody else that was there uh at the convention to do a tour uh got to meet thomas winterton and all those guys you know and dragon and and stuff uh and afterwards I was like, man, I, you know, this is what I do. I got to go back and try to look around. And so I went back in the middle of the night, like at uh, two, three in the morning. And you probably know this there on the southeast side of the ranch. There's kind of a, a road that parallels the, the ridge Uh, and I was basically just straight South of the East gate basically. And I could see, I think Homestead Two. If I looked a little to the West, I could see the triangular triangle spot in the road, all that that they talk about now. And I got to this point where I got, um, I was looking for my equipment in my backpack and I got really confused. It's like, I couldn't find any of my gear cognitively. It was like my train of thought got scrambled. Um, like my thoughts were like, uh, I don't know how to describe it, but just very ADD, like attention deficit all over the place, confusion. And I couldn't find any of my night vision gear, any of my stuff in my backpack. And I was even turning it upside down and like shaking it out on the tailgate of the truck. And I was like, well, I guess I'm just here with like this little black light flashlight and my phone. So I was trying to film with that. And right at that same time, I saw this shadow figure moving along the fence line there on the south edge of the property that at first I thought was just like a black cow. And you said like this wolf thing that you saw was like the size of a deer, like way bigger than a normal wolf. And this thing moved really strange, like almost just like slid along the fence line. And then it stopped straight in front of me. And then it just like crouched down into this small ball, which like a cow wouldn't do unless it was just like laying down for the night or something. It was, it was really odd. It was just this dark shape. And as I went up to the fence line, uh, there was nothing there. There was no bush. There was no cow, anything. I clearly saw this object move along the fence line, crouch down, and like it stayed there. I didn't see anything leave the area. But when I went up there, there was just nothing. And the next morning... uh, I'm back at my the place I'm staying, and all of my equipment was right in my backpack where I had put it. And I don't know why I couldn't find it. Why it wasn't? It was like uh, something was probing into my mind, or something, or reading my mind. Or it was very strange, yeah. and I couldn't. Yeah, it confused well, me. Well and I, and I and I had I had bad dreams for like three days after that. I had really strange nightmares, like where I could not rest, just totally restless. Like my mind was still racing and racing. You know, like oh, yeah. so is that similar to the stuff that you guys were experiencing a lot there?
1: Oh, yeah, that, that would not, that would happen not all the time. But like you said, when you least expect it, something would happen, you know. Um, nothing like that really happened to me, per se, um, that I can remember, you know. Like I said before, it gets kind of numbing to a point where you're just like, okay, whatever. It's just, it's just another night out here by myself. And right. I can't find this. I can't find that. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, but um, other guys have... I remember one guy, he lost his knife and uh, some other equipment and it showed up on his bed, you know, and it's like, what, what's going on here? You know, it's like, at first you're kind of like, you know, you're trying to make a a sound judgment call. Like, is there something in the water I'm drinking? Is there something in the environment that's making me hallucinate or have these weird feelings? You know, you're trying to make logical sense about it. I know, obviously, you know, during my time out there, we we weren't really um, informed about the radiation that's out there. Um, or or, or other unseen factors. But, um, you know, we used to joke around and say, you know, there's something else going on out here. You know, it just felt like, like I said, you always felt like you're being watched or whatever or messed with. And uh, now I kind of have a theory about, you know, the hitchhiker effect, because it sounds like that's kind of like what you had almost, a little bit of a hitchhiker effect. Um, I truly truly believe, um, and I had a hitchhiker effect that not only affected me, but also my wife. And Mm -hmm. this is early in 2011. Um, and that's a whole nother story, but, um, I believe that, you know, Skinwalker Ranch and the Uinta Basin, there's lots of areas, you know, you stumble upon a sacred area or, you know, ancient hollow grounds and that energy attack attaches to you and follows you home and then presents itself as like a warning, like saying, Hey, you trespass on my land. Now I'm going to trespass on yours, you know, come here, tread lightly, be respectful. I feel like that's kind of where, the hitchhiker effect to me is where I believe it comes from, you know, coming out to these lands that are enriched with deep history. Like I said, the the test site has, you know, petroglyphs that go back 10,000 years old and there's stuff out there on the ranch that I discovered that go back thousands of years old. And that was my primary focus when I was out there was, uh, gathering artifacts and getting them dated and, and finding a connection there. I felt that was extremely important to what we're dealing with, you know? And, um, I still do, you know. When I was out there, I kind of had this. I I made this topographical map of the property of Skinwalker Ranch, and every time I would find an artifact, uh, a grindstone or an arrowhead, or um, um, I even found some rocks used for ceremonial purposes for uh, sweat lodges, I would GPS it. I would GPS the location, take a picture, and if I couldn't identify the rock or whatever, I'd bring that rock back to the trailer to try to find some online connection but i was trying to correlate people's experiences to maybe an abundance of artifacts i thought maybe that that native energy frequency vibration and histories is displaced in the environment and you know we're picking up on that you know we're being uh, you're being exposed to that environment some of these some of these things that are happening are the blowback of us you know trespassing on hollow grounds or ancient native grounds that we're not aware of yet you know because there's still so much stuff that's undiscovered you know i'm just kind of showing what I just focused on the artifacts because that's kind of was my thing. And I felt like using the artifacts, there was a trail that we could follow, you know, and I was able to follow that trail from Skinwalker all the way to blind frog. I found artifacts that made that match the same timeline, same time, you know? So it's hard to say. That's why people get this pinpoint of like, it's just one area. No, it's the whole, you went to basin that's connected, you know?
0: Yeah, let's talk about that, too, because I found that, too, when I went up there and experienced all that at Skinwalker Ranch. I also went up uh, the McConkie Ranch petroglyph site. I just posted on my TikTok and Instagram about that again today, and I haven't stopped thinking about it. Part of that whole trip and experience has sent me uh, on this whole new journey. And now I'm connected with the Blind Frog Ranch team, just like you are as well, and doing like the season two post-show recap co-hosting on their podcast yeah. and web uh, YouTube channel and everything else. But you've got involved up there with blind frog ranch. And yeah, I mean, that place is full of strange mystery. They've got oh. a box. They've got a box in the water underground that has uh, gallium in it uh, in these yeah. infused in these rocks down there, which who knows what the ancient uh, native people or indigenous people were doing, or if it was an invading you know Aztec or whatever it's that the theories are still wide open but tell everybody a little bit about your experience how you got involved with Blind Frog Ranch and what you've discovered up there
1: yeah basically it was just uh James Keenan you know he reached out to me and he said hey you know would you be willing to come out to Blind Frog Ranch um, with some of your expertise with Skinwalker Ranch and also uh, maybe do some photography I'm like absolutely you know I, I wanted to go out there and you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sold down to the, Uinta basin, you know, any chance to get to go out there to take pictures or to explore. I'm, I'm there as much as possible. So we went out there and uh, over the course of five days, I took 4,000 images of of a blind frog ranch, you know, and got to hang out with Dwayne and, and James and, and really explore that whole area, you know, and got some great shots. <clears throat> and I was surprised to find, you know, and literally, this is no joke me and James took my truck and we drove up there and I get out of the truck and I took about five steps and right in front of me is an arrowhead on the ground. Mm. It was unbelievable. It was like I was being guided to find this stuff because it was like, I, I thought it was just it was so bizarre and uh, it was a little gray, uh, a Flint one. And then later on, while I was out there with James, one day I found a a, a point, an arrowhead point that, Goes back to the archaic period, you know, fifteen hundred or fifteen hundred years ago. And there might be a picture on there. Oh, that's James's thing. James too. Yeah, his yeah video about if you that. Click on yeah. that uh, if you click on the the yellow blind frog ranch photography, there might be more. Yeah, there should be some more because I'm pretty sure I I posted the picture of the arrowhead that I uh, maybe not. I gotta go in there and put some more. That's all uh, good. Pictures on there, but yeah. So I was able so to this, find a whole bunch of artifacts out there.
0: There's James Keenan. Is he dowsing right there with uh, that's, yeah. uh, Dwayne Olinger? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Cool.
1: That was yeah, really they, cool, you
0: know. The whole area of Blind Frog Ranch is really strange. For those of you that are watching this, this is the shack that you usually see their base of operations on the TV show where they do a lot of the filming. If you follow this road just over here off of the photos, that's where you get the – the pond where the hole is drilled and all the cave systems underground up here is the big, is that a sequoia tree? Yeah. Yeah. A big sequoia tree. But if you look at the geology here, it's just so strange. Like uh, you you follow this road up here and the way the lava forms, like the sandstone is formed is like it's spiraled or twisted by some strange (laughs) energy in, in the earth. And then down this really steep road is the energy zone right here where they can actually take the sand or the dirt or silica. And if you take it to this spot and melt it and smelt it, uh, these really exotic, weird metals come out almost like alchemy that the geologists can't even explain. (laughs) And this is one of the pendants that Dwayne wears all the time. That's made of that weird exotic metal that comes from this spot. And, uh, there's so much strangeness going on there. Did you, have you experienced anything unusual while in your time at, at blind frog ranch?
1: You know what? I oddly enough, it was like our second day out there. It must've been our second day out there. I was uh photographing an area that there was a fire that went through there and uh, all these trees were black and burnt down. so I was taking some really cool black and white photographs of these, this whole area that was burned down, um, to the trees. And while I'm taking photographs, I'm also looking at the ground, looking for artifacts or what I like to call evidence of occupation. Where you find a whole bunch of artifacts in one location, that's called evidence of occupation. That means that area was used for either hunting grounds or something significant. And I found an area that had a bunch of uh, broken up u agate, and u agate is what primarily primarily what they use to make tools and and weapons and everything like that. So I found an area that had a whole bunch of u agate, and there were some flakes you know, some of his air flaking uh, arrowheads. And I was like, this is neat. So I'm, I'm photographing it all. And uh behind me, it was so weird. A gust of wind came through those dead trees. And I swear I heard it. It sounded like an Indian on a horse going yeah real fast like that, like a call. And I hmm. turned around and I took a series of pictures and I didn't, I didn't capture anything in my, my pictures, but something was there and I didn't say anything. I didn't tell anybody. It. So you know, I went back to uh, photographing and then we were out there for several more hours. And then myself, James, and um, Dwayne, um, we went to a steakhouse that night in Vernal. And so at dinner, we we're talking about the day and about what we found and different discoveries and about the property in Utah. And, and I told him, I said, you know, when I was up on that ridgeline uh, photographing those old dead trees that were burned down, I had this experience. And I told him, and Dwayne stopped that with me and he said, you're not the only person who's had ex- that exact same spirit experience at that exact same location. And I was like, mm-hmm. wow. So I can't wait to go back up there and kind of revisit the area. Maybe I missed something that was something was trying to get my attention. You know, I already found artifacts in that area. Maybe there's something else more around there. So I, I can't wait to go back out this summer and look.
0: Definitely. Do you now, as far as like equipment, when you go up there, do you just use your camera mainly for your research? Or do you take any other kind of like, sensitive equipment or paranormal research equipment with you and then a follow-up question to that is if you do any kind of uh consciousness work like meditation or any type of remote viewing or anything like that
1: yeah uh the first part of the question i just i normally just take my my uh my camera and a firearm obviously but that's it i don't take anything else because i'm there specifically to photograph and i feel like if I have too much equipment, it might distract me from observing the area. You know, I want to really absorb the area as much as possible. Yeah. Um, and through my photography, I'm, I'm, I, even now, I go back to my images from last summer, and I've found tons of stuff that I missed. I can't wait to – I sent some to, to, James, to James to look at, but I found some some areas of interest, for, to say the least. And then uh, the second part, um, the meditation while well, I was on Skinwalker Ranch. I did lots of meditation. There is a location out there. I like to call it Meditation Rock. And I would spend hours and hours and hours up there meditating. And then at night, sometimes I would sleep up there with the dogs. So I would spend the whole night up there with the dogs. Um, and I felt like I would try to astral project as best I could. Like There was one time specifically where I was on the rock at night and there was a meteor shower that came through. And I was laying on the rock and it must've been like two o'clock in the morning and I'm with the dogs and I'm just focusing on this meteor shower. And it felt like I was actually in the universe. I felt like I was, it was a totally out of body experience and it was actually frightening. It scared the hell out of me, you know, but it was yeah. so unreal. But I did a lot of meditation out there on, on a skinwalker, And I felt like mm-hmm. that's what kind of honed me into the environment. And maybe maybe doing so um, help protect me as well, because you know, as you know, uh, with Skinwalker in that area of Utah, you know, darkness is there if you want to look for it. If you want to look for darkness, it's there. Um, but you better be prepared for it because you might not like um, the results of uh, messing around. Because, you know, some people, I see this all the time, you know, people automatically dismiss um, things that happen on Skinwalker or Blind Frog and they don't believe it. And it, you know, no, it's no fault of their own. But if you don't believe it, then I suggest you go out there and spend weeks, months alone out there. And, you know, in our society, we we call it the paranormal. We call it you know, high strangeness or um, the phenomena. you know. But in reality, the people that were here 10,000 years ago, which are 100 percent evidence, shows that they were there in, U- in, in Utah and other places. They called it their culture. It was just a part of their culture. It was not called the phenomenon was not called paranormal. It was just a part of their culture. So there's people that automatically dismiss, you know, I I suggest to them next time you ever meet a a native elder, go up there and say, Hey, I think your culture is crap and see what happens to you. Because it's it's extremely, it's extremely disrespectful to say, Oh, it doesn't, we don't have evidence for that. Or, or you didn't get a picture of that. So it's not real. It's so silly. It's like, no, go out there, get your boots dirty and spend some time and, and invest some sweat equity entire environment and then you tell me what's going on you know i I agree yeah
0: and you get you get people that also divide it up into their categories of emphasis they want to target just like ufos being you know uh spaceships or flying saucers from another planet you have some people that are just stuck on it being like some spiritual or religious type involvement where it's demons or angels or the jinn or the Anunnaki or something like that, the watchers. and like, But when mm-hmm. you really look at this whole perspective, which is why I, I tend to focus on the ancient cultural side of it, they didn't see a difference between any of it. They didn't divide it all up into a bunch of categories, it seems. that was just like a part of their life and experience that was going mm-hmm. on a lot, alongside their normal reality all the time. And I feel like we're just so plunged into our devices and the routines of our day-to-day life that we just get in this default mode, we become like blind to this whole other dimension of reality going along uh, right alongside of us. Like Bigelow says right under our noses, (laughs) you know? Uh, So that's a, uh, brings up a good point that I want to ask you. What is your take on all that? Do you think that what you've experienced in these locations and even back with your military history and experiences is this something that is more like a technology? Is it some sort of extraterrestrial thing or does it have to do with uh, like another dimension of reality or spiritual aspect? How would you kind of categorize it if you had to?
1: I think, you know, there's so many overlapping layers to this subject and something on a uh, skinwalker, They all, they all kind of cross there, you know, <clears throat> um, I believe and this is just my personal opinion. In, and i follow the evidence that i found on skinwalker and the whole uinta basin i truly believe everything boils down to the native culture to the hmm. to the indigenous people who lived there before us they were tuned into something that we are not aware of uh, and we we have to over complicate things or look for a scientific um, method when in reality we need to look at the indian method or the native method the native method is important and that's just going out and being in the environment observing absorbing And and experiencing what's out there, you know, if you want to take a bunch of equipment and do your best to document it, great. But I will tell you, you're going to get a better uh, experience and a better um, result if you just backpack and spend a couple nights absorbing that environment, like those people did ten thousand years ago. They were they were deeply connected to the earth and to the universe. And we like to think that we are today, but we, like you said, we're so divided with our dis- devices and distractions and everything that we are so disconnected. It's, it's not even funny, but the people that were here long before us were definitely connected, you know? And uh, I think that's important. I think that's a important layer to focus on. And that was my primary focus at Skinwalker was that native history. I think that's very important to the whole Uinta um, basin and it goes back there's all kinds of native history out there with the, with the Walker Wars, the Chief Wakara, the Black Hawk Wars, the Chief Black Hawk. You dig into those wars and you're going to see that bloodline, that blood feud goes all the way through that basin. So, again, mm-hmm. that native energy, frequency, and vibration is displaced throughout the entire natural environment. And when you go out to these areas, you need to tread lightly, be respectful of not just the land, but also respectful of the people that are out there. You know, because it, it, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, sometimes, and I, we had guys on my team that were disrespectful, you know, not all of them, but there was a couple guys and they got weeded out pretty quickly. You know, the ranch bit back at them, you know. Mm-hmm. So you have to be a very open minded to everything. But I truly believe everything is a result of the Native American connection to everything. That's what I believe. As far as technology, you know, and you got to understand during my Walker, I didn't have a team of scientists or a lot of equipment to, you know, find out what was under the underground or, or in the sky. It was just me and the dogs. That was it. There isn't. No, so I had to really go at it, at it organically, like old school cop boots on the ground type thing, you know? Right. And I felt like that was important. Um, boots on it probably, the ground. It exploded. probably
0: had you more connected to the ranch than the entire, like pent up in the technology and trying to do experiments. It seems like on the TV shows a lot, that's what they want for the entertainment factor and what gets edited in is just the technology. And cause people want the data, they want the science, they want the facts behind it, but you're right. It's like the people, the indigenous cultures that were layered there over thousands of years, they were tapped into something completely different. When you look at like all of these ancient sites, even if it's just a Canyon or like a crevice in the rocks, like a split Canyon or something uh, or Chaco Canyon, you, what you've got is these almost resonant echo chambers or these energy traps, it feels like, where you've got a harmony or a frequency that resonates. If you clap your hands or whistle, it's like you can hear it echoing 20, 30 times. It looks like we might have lost Chris's connection for a second. We'll get him back here. Don't worry. But all of these sites that I've been to are the same, where it's like the native culture were so intuitive to the environment that they were resonating with it and when they were doing their ceremonies they were tying their own consciousness and their vibration of their consciousness into the actual earth energy field and environment as well and here we've got chris right back how are you doing chris we got you back there can you hear me yeah i can hear you Uh, It's okay and we're we're getting just over an hour here so we can wrap it up here quick as well i was just saying in these locations it's like they constructed a lot of these sites around the natural electromagnetic field or the harmony almost like cymatics you know like like the way a, a snowflake would form a particular pattern they were building their cities and they picked a lot of these spots based on how they resonated and they were probably doing meditation rituals and shamanic experiences that tied them in with that energy field and who knows what that gave them if it gave them some sort of astral projection ability or some ability to see into these other dimensions and definitely it seems like they were able to connect with each other over vast distances and things and that does seem to have left an imprint in the area or as part of some kind of an anomaly to the area to where um when they uh, would do those rituals it would enhance their own consciousness or their own experience and we've kind of lost sight of that but when you're out there on the ground and away from the technology and meditating you're kind of tying into that and I'm um, I think it's really important what you're saying about how the ancient culture but it seems like they want to keep the Native American history a little bit under wraps in some areas of the research because that can actually shut down a lot of the research and so they uh, have to tread lightly when it comes to that kind of stuff but yeah. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that that it has to do with uh, our past and future timelines kind of merging in these locations and uh so Chris yeah we've got we've actually got some stuff coming up we keep dropping Chris and this is funny because Chris was having trouble with his computer updating and everything and he said right before the show that this happens every time he goes to talk about this topic happens to me a lot too where either our computers get hacked or something weird we have uh, our signals drop even when we try to do phone calls and stuff. So you never know when we're talking to people who are involved and have certain clearances where they're allowed or not allowed to talk about things. This kind of glitches occur. So we keep having Chris drop off. But when we get him back uh, here, what we'll do, Chris, it looks like we're struggling with your connection a little bit. Maybe we're getting like tapped into or Can you hear tricks. me. Yeah, I can hear you. <laughs>
1: i tell you, as soon as I start talking about this stuff, this always happens.
0: <laughs> That's what I was just saying when we lost you there. I was like, we always have these glitches every time. and I, I get them all the time, too. When we hit certain so, topics, uh, certain areas of it, it's like everything, the technology starts to glitch out.
1: Yeah, it's so bizarre.
0: It really is. But we've been going on a little bit over an hour, Chris. Um We've got some stuff coming up. Do you you want to talk about, can we talk about that or is this a secret?
1: (laughs) Uh, I think, well, I got, um, yeah, I could talk about uh, some things here. I got, I actually have a documentary, a little mini documentary coming out. Uh, Okay.
0: Yeah, see, nobody wants him to know about it. (laughs) We'll get him back here. So, we can't talk about this a whole lot, but there is a trip coming up where we're going to be doing some expedition research up in the Uintah Basin. We're not going to talk about where or how that's happening, uh, but we're going to be taking some really cool people. I, I didn't tell any details about a trip that we're doing, but there is some expeditions coming up. Um, oh, yes. They're going to be really cool, too. Uh, you've got a, do- a mini documentary coming out you were just mentioning. Uh,
1: one second. Let's see if I can get this thing to work. My internet connection is not working for some reason. Yeah, uh, can you hear so me? Yeah, I can hear you good now. Hmm. Okay, I got a backup just in case. Um, yeah, we're doing the expedition this this summer, me and James Keenan, and I think you know some other people are invited to come as well um, to go back out there and explore the Uinta Basin. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll
0: be really good. There's some uh, new locations that have – Come up with some research that need to be looked at with boots on the ground, and so a little group of us might go up there and check that out. But you've also got to see every. I was going to bring up his mini documentary again. (laughs) I'm going to post details of that. I'll add them as soon as I get them from Chris down in the description box of this video on YouTube, so that everybody can check it out. But he, he he apparently has a mini documentary coming out. I'm going to go ahead and pop up his website one more time, so everybody can. Go see what he does, chrisbartel.com. He has uh, a really interesting take on Skinwalker Ranch, on Blind Frog Ranch, the whole Uinta Basin. Everything that's going on in that whole area is really fascinating. Um, you can see more about him and his upcoming work, what he's done in Las Vegas, Wichita, the Goldfield Hotel, all these different cool places that he's been. And his whole life has been. Revolving around these unique locations, even his time in the military and the Air Force is just really cool. So, I was just shouting out your website one more time. Oh, thank you. There you go.
1: Uh, so, how to use my phone? <laughs>
0: that's all, that's all right. So, really quick, let's try and take a stab at this. We're going to say one more time well this mini documentary coming out, uh, Chris. What's up with that?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, about almost it's been about two years now. Um, a guy by the name of Taras uh, Matla from the University of Maryland uh, reached out to me and asked uh, to, at first he asked to buy some of my skinwalker images for the university because they're interested in the exhibit. They're doing an exhibit. And I said, no, I'll, I'll donate the images because if it's going to the university, you know, and, and to help study, you know, maybe there's some eyes that can see something that I missed. So I donated my entire Skinwalker archives to him at the University of Maryland. And that kind of started a conversation with uh, more adventures and a couple of trips to Washington, D.C. where we met with uh, um, Senator and uh, some other people. And um, while I was there in Washington, we shot this little mini documentary to kind of go with the uh, exhibit. And it's about 14, 15 minutes, and it's supposed to come out sometime in the beginning of this year. And it's kind of just in my own words about my experiences on the ranch, kind of like how we're talking today and uh kind of shows my photography and because i really felt like my time on the ranch alone helped um enhance my creative vision you know maybe it was just the time there alone or maybe i tapped into some type of frequency or whatever but i will say that for 100 percent my vision uh changed in the positive out uh, aspect being on the skinwalker and so through the photography i was kind of able to show that and that's what this little mini documentary is about kind of showing people uh my photography and stuff like that you know and i'm pretty excited because it's kind of it's going to be with the art exhibit and uh the university putting it on so it'll be on youtube it'll be everywhere for free for people to watch and see some more of my photography and um see where i end up going because I'm, I'm i'm gonna continue to, to photograph the Uinta basin and i'll i'll do my best to keep posting pictures on twitter is where i post most of my pictures and on facebook when i can and um i gotta update my website a little bit but um so, yeah, on Twitter, I post a lot of pictures of, of my Skinwalker stuff and then some of my, oh, obviously, Blind Frog and a McConkey Ranch and then also Dark Canyon, Fantasy Canyon, other places in, in Utah I've explored. And then I post some images of Vegas and, and Montana and some Kansas shots. And so a little bit of everything, but it's mostly uh, the Uinta Basin as well. Most of my photography is around.
0: That's really awesome. Yeah, I have the same experience when I've been up there. It's like I have that whole you know, kind of paranormal encounter and a bunch of uh interesting things happen. But ever since then, in a way, my life has totally unraveled, but then sh- changed directions. And now I'm doing all of this kind of stuff full time. And it's sort of like sucked me into where now Blind Frog Ranch is just a big part of my life. And my whole friends network and everybody that I talk to on a daily basis is all involved in this process of what you would call disclosure or whatever you want to call it and it's not yeah. even just about like UFOs and extraterrestrials it seems so much bigger than that and everybody that i talk to is another piece of that puzzle to bring that to the table and your photography is a huge part of it uh and and your vision and all of that and the creativity that has exploded out of you almost like a it's almost like you go to these places and you have as like a human antenna, you tap into some sort of a signal. Right. You get this whole download of information. Like my whole mind felt scrambled for a little bit, but when I came out the other side, I have this whole new clear direction, a new focus. It's almost like it knocked all my pieces down and built them up in a different way and reprogrammed me almost. Right and now, and yeah. it's
1: interesting. It's interesting you bring that up because um, I started doing this split photography with some of my Skinwalker images and Blind Frog. And the results are pretty amazing. If you go to Blind Frog Ranch and you scroll down, um, there's a shot of one of the sequoia trees. Go down, look right there, yeah. At the very top left-hand corner, uh, just up, up one more. Uh, go up one more.
0: We'll get there. <laughs> Let's see. One more. Trying to get it to load here. Is uh, this one here? Very,
1: very top top left. Right, that one. So gotcha. this image is of uh, the tree on Blind Frong Ranch. But if you zoom in, it looks like Chief Wakara with his arms out, face, headdress, uh, a robe, feet, and everything. Right there. Right. In plain sight. The trees are his arms extended out. He's got you a headdress. The... He's even got a face. If you zoom in that face... It looks like a face, but it's it really just a does. picture that I took on BlindFrog, and I flipped the image, and the result was that.
0: That's so fascinating.
1: It's crazy.
0: So you have this whole split split vision technique where you basically mirror split an image, so yeah. you've got it uh, flipped horizontally, yeah, and it reveals this whole
1: whole different it's world
0: a whole different world a whole different view that's isn't
1: funny. that interesting i feel like um you know maybe that's what the ancestors were seeing when they were taking or doing sweat lodges or maybe taking a hallucinogenic um you know smoking pipe or whatever um they, maybe they're seeing these images you know i'm able to kind of show that through my photography right there's you know? something
0: about it that does evoke that that entire feeling and that is also really common with uh Shamanic experiences or even like uh, mystical experiences where they use mirrors or crystal balls in order to create this sort of reverse distortion. And then it reveals entities or other things that you normally wouldn't see. Almost like, you know, those uh, illusion photos that you used to get all the time where it's just looks like static. But then when you concentrate or focus your eyes a certain way, suddenly your consciousness is able to attach onto a hidden image and reveal it almost three-dimensionally like a hologram right. and it does make you wonder if in these some of these locations that's a little bit of what's going on when you walk around yeah uh, only out into our, a three-dimensional way right um, it's really We're, fascinating i
1: feel like i'm tapping into something else out there and i'm, I'm kind of able to show that with other people through my photography you know right uh, uh, it's kind of neat
0: it's really cool chris so this documentary mini documentary that's coming out and some of your work highlighting your photography and being able to take it and show it to other people and open yeah. their minds. When is that all expected to come out?
1: Uh, sometime in the beginning of this year. So maybe, maybe at the end of February or the start of uh, March, I'm not sure exactly when, but um, I've, I've, I've only seen a rough cut of it and it's pretty neat. It's kind of, it's going to highlight some of my favorite images of the ranch and um I don't know. I think it's, it's really well done For us. Uh, Matt did a really good job of getting the, the right people involved in the program and, and it's all going to be free. So I, I, I think it's, I think it's great. You know, um, he's done a lot for me, uh, help connect some dots because I only came forward and, and came out online a couple of years ago as, for closure purposes. I've just been trying to kind of close a chapter in my life, you know, yeah. and now, and now, you know, more doors have opened, different chapters are opening, and I'm going down those paths now. So I'm going to keep going down this path and see where it leads, because I feel like the more time I spend in the Uinta Basin, as you probably feel the same way, uh, the more the layers keep getting pulled back. And we're, we're, we're finding more stuff, finding new, new things, you know. And so I'm always excited to spend as much time as possible out there in Utah. And uh, I can't wait to get back out there because I love being out there. I really do. I wish I was doing that full-time.
0: And you're probably headed there. You know, I know that you're working a a full-time job already and everything, and this is like a side part of your life, but man, you need to get that book done and figure out a way, or it's going to somehow this place, that whole basin has a way of drawing you in when it, when it needs you or wants to use you for a purpose or something bigger than yourself. And I really feel like there's no coincidences in all this. And, uh, even just meeting you and talking to you, it's like a, a kindred spirit and a, a brotherly feeling, like we're on the same path. And I've had the same experience with Chad and Dwayne Ollinger and yeah. a lot of people involved around this whole thing. It's like we've known each other from some other time or something almost, yeah. And it's like we're all putting the pieces together and it's the right people at the right time to solve yeah. a thousands of years old mystery. And start to okay. bring it to the forefront or something. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, it's I, I'm so fortunate for The people that I've met during this journey, you know, and I, me and you and, and James and, and, and Dwayne, and even the guys at Skinwalker, some amazing minds out there. Unbelievable. And, and very fortunate. You know, I love, I love how everybody's connecting at the right time.
0: Yeah. And so we're going to find out. So, we're going to end up going up there and exploring things a little bit later, maybe a couple times this year together. Yeah. And I'll go, I'll, we can do some interesting meditations and I'll try some gateway method stuff. And you can be there with your camera. So whatever manifests, maybe you can get the first all awesome. pictures of it ever. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds that'll great. Be, that'll be really cool. So thanks so much, Chris Bartel, for joining us and everybody over in the chat uh, for joining us and your support. Make sure and support Chris's website. Uh, if he has a book in this mini documentary coming out, uh, check the links in the description of this video and in the podcast. And uh, we haven't heard the last of you, Chris. I think we're going to have plenty more to talk about in the near future.
1: I hope so. I, I, like, uh, I like having this conversation. So hopefully I have more free time in the future to talk more about it.
0: Sounds good, Chris. And Thank you. Everybody, everybody, thanks for joining us. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Bye.
1: Thank you.